Good morning. Today's message is Jesus the Gate to Good Pasture, based on John 10, 1-10. Her section, The Robber's Rampage. Beware the deadly robber. Our Lord Jesus said in John 10, 1, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. And in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. It's been a horrific week in Nova Scotia after a gunman using multiple vehicles killed 22 people and burned several homes. Such killing and destruction. Can this really be happening in rural Canada? What makes it particularly sinister is how the gunman used an RCMP-like uniform and replica of an RCMP cruiser, effectively disguising himself as he moved from place to place. Very deliberate, very intentional, very sick. On the radio, one man told of his brother going to take pictures of the fire nearby, then eventually going himself and in the dark with a flashlight finding his brother shot dead, with other shots being fired. So he went and hid in the woods in the freezing cold for four hours, concerned for his own father, whom he'd left alone back at the house. Sheer terror. Evil is just so evil. Something much more than naturalistic explanations must be involved much more than a human simply dancing to the music of their DNA. Meanwhile, on a broader scale, many nations continue in lockdown trying to flatten the curve of the spread of the coronavirus. Globally, as of Friday, the Johns Hopkins University tracking website listed nearly 2.8 million confirmed cases worldwide and close to 200,000 deaths. In Ontario, some 14,000 cases and 830 deaths many of them in long-term care homes. After a while, the numbers just seem to start to blur. You get so used to hearing them day after day. But each of those numbers represents a life important to someone. COVID-19 is a killer and a thief, destroying health, preempting relationships. When in your lifetime can you remember whole economies grinding to almost a standstill? When has the price of oil ever actually been in the negative like it was this past week? I'll pay you to take it off my hands so I don't have to store it. Remarkable times. Chicken little. The sky is not falling, but the ground sure seems to be shaking. Times that test one's faith. Against COVID, there is still no vaccine, no medicinal wall that can protect us other than our body's own marvelously designed immune system. We don masks and practice physical distancing, trying to create a barrier between us and the deadly bug, but wonder whether we ourselves could become one of those mounting statistics. Of course, morally geared agents that we are when something doesn't go the way we like, we try to assign blame and responsibility to somebody else. There was a suggestion this week that Canada's Hong Kong-born geomedical officer was somehow in league with China because of delay in her initial response and backtracking about wearing masks. Probably such an extreme allegation says more about the person making it than about its perceived target. Racism rears its ugly head. Like the prejudice that resulted in many harmless and innocent Japanese Canadians being needlessly sent to prison camps during World War II as a safeguard. Racism and hate can wall us in, close us off. 
evil was at work in Gabriel Wertman, the shooter. Destruction is at work in the coronavirus. But not us, right? And Jesus warned it's not just murderers who will be subject to judgment, Matthew 5.22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger in the fire of hell. You know, that expression, if looks could kill. It's not just those on society's fringe who can get off track and cause mayhem. The prophets in the Old Testament spoke out against Israel's leaders, kings, priests, and prophets, because their corruption was hurting the people and leading the nation into punishment, namely exile. Isaiah 56, 10-12 Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They're all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They're dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They're shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. Each seeks his own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let us drink or fill a beer. And tomorrow will be like today, or even far better. Hmm. Party arty. Going to kill another case of 24 or something like that? One country song I heard recently. Hmm. Any of that sound familiar? Never have enough? Turn to their own way? Seek our own gain? Sounds like they were just being regular folks, but leadership demands more than just the lowest common denominator. Likewise, in Ezekiel's time, the rulers were criticized by God's prophet for her failing to shepherd the citizen sheep. Ezekiel 34, 2 and 8. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. They took care of themselves at the sheep's expense but failed to care for the flock. But isn't that just looking for number one, as we say? Ezekiel 34, 4. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. It seems God expected those in power to look out for the interests of those who had the least power, and they weren't doing that. When have we been harsh or brutal in our words or actions? Do we strengthen the weak or leave them to fend for themselves? By sarcasm or harsh criticism, do we rob people of their self-respect and dignity? Do we ever go on an emotionally prompted rampage? Next section, the wall, hemmed in by our perversion. Larry Crabb is a biblical counselor who seeks significance and security as two of our deepest human needs. Here are a couple of quotes from him in his book, Effective Biblical Counseling. He says, We are motivated to meet our needs for significance and security in ways we unconsciously believe will work. And by cutting God off, what a staggering concept of freedom, mere humans can cut God off from their lives. You cut off the only source of true significance and security. Security is huge in terms of basic felt needs. We long for safety from predators. 
We carefully construct our cyber and screen portal cocoons. We feel threatened when we're laid off and the paycheck is suddenly gone. When we land in the hospital unexpectedly. When someone close to us dies. We miss that wall of safety and security when it's not there. Jesus' allegory in John 10 is set in your typical Palestinian sheepfold. This was often a wall made of stones large enough to contain several flocks with only a single entrance. Sometimes the gatekeeper actually slept lying across the entrance to keep the predators out and the sheep in. A big ring or square of stones with a single exit. We don't like limits. We, we don't want to feel hemmed in. Many have been chafing at having to be off work and confined at home due to the lockdown. One protester south of the border put it something like this. The government doesn't control us. We control the government. It's our constitutional right. There's the spirit of American independence, the Boston Tea Party in a nutshell. But let's remember there's still governing to be done. It's not anarchy. To quote Lincoln's word, closing words in the Gettysburg Address, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. There is government of the people, not just people controlling the government. To be able to enjoy a wall of security and order often involves submitting to government directive. If you don't think so, just try driving on the wrong side of the road sometime and tell me how it goes. It may irk our stubborn independent streak to submit, but it's good and necessary. Paul commanded the early Christians in Rome, Romans 13, 1-2, 4a, and 6-7. He said, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For he is God's servant to do you good. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Similarly, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.17, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. The sword of government is there to wall in wrongdoing, to set helpful limits, to protect the powerless. In an ideal world filled with enlightened, conscientious folk who always looked out for the other person's best interests, we might not need so many laws. But we don't live in such a world, as two world wars dashed the hopes of liberal optimism in the early 20th century. Education has not made us gooder and gooder. In fact, there is danger that since AI, artificial intelligence, is made in the image of humans, it could endanger us. The truth is, as the Bible tells us, Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We are morally sick, and there is no cure. We are all under sin, as Paul put it in Romans 3. Remember from a few weeks back? Under sin, walled in, enclosed by it. Romans 3, 9, 4, and 18. 
We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Morally speaking, we are all dead meat, metaphorically speaking. Ethically, roadkill. There is a little Gabriel Wortman in all of us. Ephesians 2, 1-3, he says, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We follow this world's ways. We disobey just like the ruler of the air kingdom. We get towed along by our sinful cravings. We're walled in by sin. Is there no way out? Must we remain targets of holy wrath? Here's a headline from this past Tuesday, April 21st. Coronavirus. World risks biblical famines due to pandemic. UN. Apparently, the head of the World Food Program is warning that urgent action is needed to avoid a catastrophe. A report estimates that the number suffering from hunger could go from 135 million to more than 250 million. Times of tragedy and natural catastrophe ought to prompt us to reevaluate, wake us up, shake us from our complacency. Luke 13, Jesus was told about some Galileans that the Roman governor Pilate had apparently murdered. He did not go into the politics of it or ponder whether they must have deserved this fate. Instead, he remarked, Unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he uses the example of another natural tragedy, a tower collapsing. Luke 13, 4 and 5. For those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Tragedy can prompt sober reflection and repentance, turning toward God, away from this world's passing distractions. Next section, a single door, but much pasture. In the case of the corrupt Old Testament rulers, God promised he himself would step in to care for his sheep. Anticipating the Messiah or Christ, Isaiah 40, 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Or Ezekiel 34, 16, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. In other words, the exact things the current leaders were failing to do. And so we come in today's passage to the third of Jesus' seven I am statements in John's Gospel. John 10, 7 and 9. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. We talked about the wall, about being totally constricted, hemmed in by our sin and rebellion and disobedience. Jesus is the gate, the only way out. Does it sound egocentric and selfish, even proud for him to be saying this? Not if it's true. And he can only say it because he paid the price for it. He embraced the sacrificial fate that was prepared for him from all eternity. 
is totally in line with other striking claims Jesus made. John 5, 2 and 3. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. What? Proclaiming he was due honor just as God was? John 14, 6, another of the I Am statements. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, the language of access, coming, being the way out of the gate of the sheepfold into freedom. Then in John 20, as Pastor Ra preached about last week, Thomas bowed down and worshipped the risen Lord in John 20, 28. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus accepted this tribute, not trying to correct him or rebuke Thomas for blasphemy. Remember the price Jesus paid to become our Savior. He predicted his crucifixion and rose from the dead, a singular event in all history. No other religious leader has ever predicted his return from the dead and then carried it out. The earliest eyewitnesses maintained the factuality of these events as pointing to the singularity of Jesus being our Savior, no other. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Breaking through the wall of sin took a once-for-all total dedication by a sinless individual who was totally devoted to saving us. Jesus was following the pattern he taught his disciples in Mark 10, 43-45, not throwing their weight around like secular rulers commonly did. He said, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There it is. He gave his life to be your ransom, your gate. This passage has precious promises for those who long for a way out of this walled-in mire. First, that we can be saved. 10.9a I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The through me is emphasized in the sentence construction. Interestingly, the Greek word transliterates as S-O-S, sos. Jesus is the one that can save our souls, make us safe and sound, no longer objects of wrath. The security we truly hanker for. Romans 10, 9, or that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Second, believing in Christ, we obtain safety and supply. 10.9b I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Coming in represents safety, entering heaven's gates, the eternal home he has gone ahead to prepare for us. John 14.2 Going out could point to our newfound freedom as God's children, having the run of the place, as it were. Romans 8.21 says that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Bondage to decay. That's coronavirus, pandemic, plague, famine of biblical proportions, where we are right now. We long for freedom from that. And... Freedom from the bondage of soul, Paul describes in Romans 7.23. 
But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a, a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That's what being walled in by sin is like. Christ can free us from that, giving us new birth. Jesus says those who enter through him will find pasture. Language reminiscent of the 23rd Psalm, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Sheep tend to lie down more readily when the food is abundant and the pasture is green. Ezekiel 34:14. God promises, I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Not stingy or sparse. Robertson comments on verse 9, This phrase pictures the joy of the sheep in the pasture provided by the shepherd. It means we can have Christ's peace, even if we do come down with the coronavirus. Third and finally, Jesus promises life to those who enter through him, particularly life eternal and exceedingly abundant. Verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it over and above, exceedingly abundantly, supremely, far above merely eking out an existence. There is a richness to it, overflowing, brimming with potential. And not just in this dimension, but eternally. Later in the same chapter, John 10:28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Eternal life doesn't mean after this life is over and on forever, though it includes that. Eternal life begins now, when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's a relationship sparked by the Holy Spirit coming upon and inside you as you trust in Him. Jesus giving life is one of the main themes of John's Gospel, John 1.4. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men, 1.12.4. But yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. Born divinely into a new life, connected to your Heavenly Father, Abba, Papa. That section, no hurry, is there? Once upon a time, so the story goes, Satan held a strategy session for subverting those who were close to salvation. He asked, what shall we do? A daring demon stood and shouted, I have it, I know what we can do. We can tell people that there's no life after death, that they die like animals. Satan's face fell as he answered, It'll never work. People are not totally ignorant. Even atheists submit of times when they sense a tomorrow after death. Another demon spoke up, Here's a solution. Let's say there is no God, or if there ever was, he's dead, because even if he started the universe, he's left it now. Satan replied in dismay, that won't work either. Most of them know there is a God, even though they don't seek him. Other ideas were presented, but none brought hope to Satan and his underlings. Finally, as they were about to give up, one demon leaped in glee, I have it, a sure solution. The other demons crowded around to hear the plan. Go tell them that God is real and the Bible is God's word. A gasp came from the audience as the demon continued, and tell them that Jesus is God's Son and frees people from sin. 
The other demons were horror-stricken, thinking their associate had gone bananas, until with a smile he added, Then tell them that this is not the best time to choose Christ. Help them make excuses for delaying their decision. Tell them there is no hurry. The demons danced in delight, realizing a workable plan had been discovered. Shooting rampages and deadly pandemics are horrible, but they can have one positive side effect. They puncture the balloon of our prideful presumption that our life is going to go on and on, interrupted without end. Like hearing of the tower that collapsed, realize now is the time to repent, lest we likewise perish. So submit to God. Enter through Jesus the gate, who brings us rich pasture. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you came and poured out your life on the cross so we can be forgiven and spend the everlasting life with you. Lord, uh, we are shocked and um, amazed and uh, just uh, terrified by some of these um, tragedies that have occurred and are occurring around us. And Lord, uh, help us to be prepared when the end comes for us. We are living with you, in you, trusting you every step of the way. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good God and you give us rich pasture. Help us to share that with others and to uh, love on them as you have loved on us. In Christ's name, amen. God bless.